Hello, everybody. This is Gilbert Gottfried. I'm in hell now. <laughs> it's me and Norm and Bob Saget. And we're being violently sodomized by demons right now for all the bad jokes I told. My wet-ass pussy. <laughs> Beat it up. Catch a charge for this wet. I wish my pussy was wet. It hurts so bad down here in hell. <laughs> the aristocrats. R.I.P. <laughs> R.I.P. A, a true it's legend. One of the greatest. On, not forgotten. One of the greatest to ever touch the mic. Just a just a just a generation of like comedy legends have all died. Yeah, the past. True. Like, Louis Anderson, Bob Saget, Norm, Gilbert Gottfried. Yeah. Uh, the, well, you know. Someone's got to step on the place to keep the world full of smiles and laughter. So, gentlemen, that's where we come in, baby. Let's let's get into it. Yeah. Sometimes people, you know, they get decapitated on the assembly line at the smile factory. <laughs> but four more smile assemblers will step up in their place because you know what? The labor market at the smile factory. Well, you know, that isn't tight at all. Most people, most smile makers make nothing. Yep, they do it for the love of the smiles. Yeah, and that's how it should be. I wish it was as tight as my asshole was before I was in hell. <laughs> uh, all right, let's uh, let's get some let's get some laughs and smiles uh, rippling rippling through the universe by uh, talking about the uh, subway mass shooting in Brooklyn. Let's go, baby! On uh, New York City, you know we don't stop. Look at me, ask you fellas, what's more New York than that? Greatest what's, city in the world, baby! Greatest city in the world. Brooklyn, we go hard. Brooklyn is the borough. Spread love. It's the Brooklyn way. Um, and, you know, like, uh, just uh, like, hey, can we get some working security cameras in the subway? What's up with that? I actually, um, this reminds me of a like little New York slice of life. Uh, you know, 2015, when I just moved here, I actually had just committed a mass shooting on the subway <laughs> my third day here. And similar to this guy, I dropped my debit card. In my plastic like bag you do. full of yeah fireworks. Yeah, it just happens. And I was like, uh, you know, I went into the bodega and I was like, do you have a debit card? And he couldn't give it to me, but he gave me the card reader machine, which I then used to get another identity after committing a mass shooting in my first week in New York. Where, where Concrete jungle where dreams are made of. Yeah, this guy did it in Sunset Park, um, where I don't know if they have bodegas, as far as my knowledge. For people who don't know, Sunset Park is a uh, it's like more working class uh, neighborhood, and um, everyone everyone who lives in like functionally thirty miles away was like, "I'm okay." The subway station that they'll like never be in. Yeah, that is very funny. People who like never go south of the park, yeah. you know, like uh, I'm fine, folks. Don't worry about it. I'll be, uh, yeah, I'm, I've never been there, you know. Well, I got into it with our old nemesis, the Alamo Drafthouse Theater. Over this mass shooting, those motherfuckers. Because <laughs> you know, uh, I was scheduled to go see uh, Michael Bay's latest masterpiece, uh, Ambulance, uh, that evening, and Alamo canceled uh, all all movies for the day of the shooting. And you know, Did they, have I, they I never heard the phrase "the show must go on." You know, and I, I, you know, I made a tweet about that in jest, saying, you know, I won't be intimidated by terrorism. Uh, I'll just go to another movie theater, which I did. Uh, but some fucking uh, some little snot, some fucking brat in my mentions, like uh, tagged Alamo Drafthouse and was like, um, they're just trying to keep their employees safe. Um, but go off much, I guess. And then they just Alamo Drafthouse, their official account just replied with a heart. And first of all, I mean, they could, you know, 
just pay for a taxi for their employees. And like, I know someone who works at Alamo Draft House, and they fucking hate it. So I, I can't imagine this was a uh, uh, too much to do with the uh, the well being of their employees. But you know, whatever. You know, it's movie magic will not be stopped. I still went to the movie because I'm a real New Yorker. Well, that Alamo, guy, Alamo that Draft House, go back to Texas, you fucking losers. Stay out of New York. Well, that guy like couldn't even get into the movie theater. <laughs> Because he dropped his debit card, he wouldn't be able to order like a Sausalito caramel chocolate pecan chunk uh, cookie surprise during a showing of Morbius. So they were really in no danger. Um, if he had started shooting, that would have violated Alamo Drafthouse silence policy during <laughs> screenings. Yeah, he would have been asked to leave. Yeah, probably about, about the time he like not even fired the first shot, but if you like heard him like cock his his uh, rifle or pistol, they'd be like, hey. Hey, I'm 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 trying to I'm trying to enjoy Noah Baumbach's uh, new movie Grad School, whatever the fuck. <laughs> like, can you shut the fuck up? Stop cleaning well, your gun. Uh, sorry for all the local content, but now that the uh, the Court Street movie theater has closed down, downtown Brooklyn's only movie theater has a has the essentially uh, the movie theater equivalent of the uh, no fitted hat policy that bars in New York sometimes impose. We'll see how that goes, but uh, good on Alamo Draft House for, of course, putting the uh, the safety of their employees first. Okay, um, all right. Let's talk about the uh, the shooting itself because, look, uh, just like you know, and uh, like like most of the times, uh, an, an incident like this happens. And like, uh, what I want to say first and foremost, but this one, like the, the the best news is like, thankfully, no one was killed. Uh, there, yes. there were injuries, but like, I'm just very very good that no one was killed in, in this in this act of terrorism or whatever. But Whenever one of these things happens and like all these weird details begin to pile up, it's like you sort of have to like a question for yourself. Like does it certainly seems like a sort of gladio strategy of tension kind of thing. And there's a lot of like weird incongruities with like, you know, the security cameras not working or just like how easy like they're leaving his fucking credit card at the scene and the gun that he purchased legally to like do this attack. Discrepancies in the eyewitness accounts, but again, eyewitness accounts in a situation like that, like who the fuck knows how reliable they are. So, I mean, once again, you're left with a question of like sort of like how, you know, when, when people seem like they're ops or wreckers or something, you have to ask yourself like, are they actually like, you know, part of some intelligence operation or do the intelligence agencies essentially not need to recruit people to do this kind of thing? Because like there are so many um, just angry, violent loners um, uh, ready to do this kind of thing. I, I, I don't know. I mean, like I, I, it's 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 essentially will always be impossible to say. But like, what, what do you guys what do you guys make of this shooting? I try not to like immediately go to the FBI made this guy do something. You know, you don't you don't want to like always be completely reactive and just say that before you know anything and like i don't know it's like it's fucking weird that they're like oh yeah he dropped his debit card but then you you kind of have to remember elmore leonard's guiding principle that like a lot of criminals are just stupid yeah like that is some stupid shit that like a stupid guy who just randomly shoots up a subway car would do right yeah the the, the camera thing is fucking weird but that could also be like who knows? I mean, like, do you remember, like, the Subway Slasher, like, mm -hmm. hot seat guy? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And how, like, the cops hid from him. Cops locked themselves <laughs> right. in the, yeah. the cab of the, of the, of the Subway Right, car. so, like, yeah, so maybe, like, cops did something like that. The NYPD is like, oh, um, actually, like, uh, somehow we set off an EMP that deleted everyone's cell phone footage and the cameras failed. So, uh, But we acted bravely. Like, trust us. Like, I mean... 
there's like, you know, there's multi, there's uh, multiple levels of explanations you can get for everything with the highest level being like this guy was conditioned or is completely fictitious or something. And, you know, the lowest level being this is just like a fucking idiot, like most attempted spree killers are and was even dumber than them. And it's also police incompetence. Well, that's yeah. the funniest thing about the yeah. whole thing is just the absolute keystone coppery of the NYPD. <laughs> yeah. That shit about how, like, the officer on the scene was like, oh, my radio isn't working. Could you guys just call 911? <laughs> they were doing, like, and- the, they were doing, like, the Scooby-Doo chase. They were, like, accidentally <laughs> chasing each other through subway cars. They were, like, they were- on top of each other at some point. The shooter got a away. Coat. The shooter got away because all the cops were doing the Hanna-Barbera running style where their feet go in motion for about, about, about 10 or 20 seconds before they dart off in one direction. Uh, but like, yeah, like, so if we are like, you know, if one is to believe that this is some sort of like, yeah, like a, a directed at like the New York City subway system directed at Eric Adams, some sort of like uh, just like uh, like like traumatic event that's designed to like. Uh, you know, like uh, just whip people up into a frenzy of like fear over like crime and their personal safety. It's like they couldn't have picked like a worse one to demonstrate like the effectiveness of more yeah. policing. Um, to uh, like, but then again, like I, it, like these things, these these things don't necessarily have to make like logical sense because if people feel afraid for their lives, like the yeah, the, that's the uh, inherent, I mean, like, yeah, there doesn't need to be any like actual uh content here beyond just the the headline of you know shooting up the subway it just needs if, if there's just an increase in ambient sense of of risk and danger uh it doesn't really matter if the cops were like doing tiktoks outside while the dude shot up the fucking subway or the fact that apparently he called himself he called they couldn't find him for 30 hours <laughs> then he called the cops himself and then they didn't show up. And then yeah. there was, there and was they, a they bodega guy. Like, yeah. Yeah. They found him in like East Village, which is like a hilarious place for him to be. <laughs> right I mean, by the like, first yeah, Avenue he, McDonald's, apparently. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, there, there's an argument to be made that like, you know, if this was an inside job, like how, why was it so fucked up? But I mean, it could just be that like, you know, arguing the case of the conspiracy side that like you don't let in the patrolmen on the thing and they just like act how they would if this wasn't an inside job. But I mean, again, I don't really feel comfortable saying that with what little we know. Yeah. We don't know know anything. Yeah. And like, I just think like with all these things, like they'll go, they'll just like always remain in this, like uh, just, just cloud of uh, just weirdness. But like the net result of it is, you know, like just like the further, I don't know, like just destabilization of our society and just like the further, like, uh, just just like alienation and fear levels just being like cranked up to like ever higher levels. Um, and w- I mean, like what we can say about what we know about the guy who's, you know, been arrested for this, Frank James, is that like, you know, he had like uh, he was a, basically like an angry guy on YouTube and he focused a lot of his like ire and like uh, attention on Eric Adams. And like the only thing I can make of this is that it is like having a swagged out mayor has like an equal and opposite anti-swag reaction because this guy yeah. was like was it was a real fucking loser like 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 no swag and like I, from what i can tell like not a whole lot of coherent ideology outside of like a violent hatred of women very and common that, among shooters yeah yeah, yeah. that is the common thread with all like spree killers and shit um yeah like when you got a swagged out mayor just out there like doing him you're gonna have people looking at him and kind of seeing everything that they don't have and getting pissed yeah this guy had like one of the 
worst slash best examples of NAFTA body I've ever seen. <laughs> but yeah, like, uh, you know, uh, like, I mean, it's just like, uh, this is just like, just thank God no one was actually killed in this. I mean, like, it's amazing no one died. I mean, like, many people were shot, but like, I, you know, apparently um, him setting off those like smoke grenades in, in the subway car probably saves a lot of people's lives. It's like, yeah, he set it off in like a fucking enclosed car and was like, oh, this is going to obscure the view of all my victims. But then like, it's like, oh, shit. Like, so is my view of aiming at anyone is also totally <laughs> concluded. Yeah, that feels like just a, a fail guy having something in his head that seemed cool and then doing it and being like, oh, no, I hadn't considered this part of it. Yeah, that's what made me think this wasn't an inside job is that's like a real thing a stupid guy would do. Like he and then he's like, oh, yeah, I can't like auto target in real life. I can't like click R3. Although, you know, we have to say as whenever it happens, it's, it bears pointing out if no other reason than just to ask what exactly are you doing with all of those resources? Yeah. This is a guy who was known to the FBI <laughs> yep, uh, and then like cleared. It's like that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, they're in his head, uh, uh, you know, tinkering around, although it doesn't mean it doesn't. But it absolutely means at a minimum, like, what the fuck are you doing, man? What is this for? I mean, like, it doesn't it doesn't help the anti-conspiracy case that virtually every one of these mass shooters was like known to the FBI. Yeah. Right. Or, like, just like yeah. on their radar. And then, like, if we're going to talk about the fucking the fucking NYPD, because, like, you know, the subway has been like the largely the focus of like increased policing, uh, certainly since Eric Adams has been mayor. And like, if you're on the subway now, there are cops in every subway station. There's usually five of them just hanging out. Uh, right by the turnstiles, basically just trying to stop, you know, like give to arrest and ticket people for for jumping the turnstile. Um, but like, yeah, it didn't seem to to help anyone. It's help anyone here. And during the 30 hours in which like the you know alleged shooter was at large, the NYPD's anti-terrorism task force was clearing a homeless encampment in Tompkins Square Park. Yeah, that's what they're doing. Like I said, the New York uh, NYPD, seventh largest military in the world. Michael Bloomberg loved to brag about that. They have a bigger budget and more men under arms than the Ukrainian military. Yeah. I got a solution well, I mean, to like- two problems here. <laughs> <laughs> Airdrop the entire NYPD into Kiev and have them fight their way out. Yeah. Get, get them some working radios, though. And take away their fucking phones. <laughs> yeah. This, uh, this, it did kind of like, um, like either fail guy mass shooting or like, I don't know what you would call this. It's just a gladio as done by Italian Americans versus actual <laughs> Italians and Americans. Uh, but, you know, one or the other, right? I'm sort of erring more towards the side of uh, it's not gladio right now. Unfortunately, like took away from the coverage of like the homeless camp sweeps, which are like fucking horrifying. We're like, as with, you know, many things on the street level, criminal justice front uh it's sort of like uh, the maximalist policy of like making the most amount of people miserable like just destroy just destroying like any type of space that like any homeless person has so these people who have been like tormented for like sometimes decades by fucking living outside and being exposed to the elements and like aggravating already existing mental health problems and despair like what are they supposed to do just like ride the fucking train all day as everything deteriorates like the homeless policy in every uh, major american city is just like random acts of violence by the police and then turning every man woman and child into like a freelance unpaid social worker yeah where it's like 
I mean, like most homeless people, I'm not going to say are like going to attack somebody, but like it, it's kind of all bets are off when someone has like completely untreated mental illness and yeah, has been exposed to the elements for like 30 fucking years. And it like, it's just a horrifying, awful situation for everybody. But like, you know, if there is like a random attack by a homeless guy that then they can go, oh, look, we need to sweep more camps yeah. and then just like make the fucking problem worse. It's like it's just a horrible system all and, around. And, and, and like, of course, like they've like shifted the debate on it so much through all this that like the like left position, if you live in a city, is like, no, they should be allowed to like live outside and like eat garbage. Yeah. Because you, you've, like, destroyed any institution that could give them any type of housing or accommodation or treatment. And so, like, the, the best thing you could do is just show that, like, you personally are not upset by seeing them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, the, the, the homeless people being out there is a, ch- a chance t- for you to show how enlightened you are that you don't mind. Yeah. Um, but, like, I, I sort of feel like um, the, the way, like, the, the focus of, like, a lot of major cities um, – on like an increasingly like a uh, punitive and like sort of homeless centered policing strategy of like, you know, clearing encampments, uh, you know, sort of like these mass sweeps and Christ knows like if California, like they're about one step away from just like putting them on a train. Yeah. There's going to be, I think there's going to be camps and, in the near term. Yeah. Here. Like a, the Manzanar solution. Yeah. And like, you know, just incult- inculcating like a greater sense of like fear and hatred uh, for the homeless among like the the uh, the, uh, the the I guess like the, the rest of the population. But the thing is, like as, as like a policing technique, it just seems to be like one of the only things that they can do that people like see and is easy for them to do. Because it's like, yeah. you know, like you just see where the homeless are and then like, oh, like no one's going to complain if you like rouse them up, arrest them, throw out all their shit. Um, whereas like, you know, there was another mass shooting in the Bronx this weekend. Or like just just like a couple of, in the same amount of time, like and like a bunch of people were shot in the Bronx, and I believe someone was killed. And like it's just like whether it's the problem of guns or rising crime, it's just like it doesn't seem like uh like any policing strategy has like much of an effect on any of it. But like what people can see and what's easy to do is just like you know do these mass sweeps of the homeless and like you know uh sort of blame them for like people's increasing sense of insecurity and like this, even though, even though it may like, whether it's true or not, people feel it. And like homeless people are the, are the ones who are like the face of that now, because they are a problem that can be not solved, but dealt with in a way that the public like looks at and they're like, Oh yeah, that's why we have cops. Like that's what they're for. Well, yeah, no, I mean, it's like all American wars. It's designed to never be able to win it. Yeah. You'd, like they're never like someone with the resources of the LAPD or NYPD could like, yeah, do something absolutely awful and psychotic, like just send them on a long march outside the city or something. But um, they'll never really do that because they always want there to be like some presence of that. So, yeah, people there's always like this problem that people can feel like you need cops to solve. Yeah. And also, like, I, I don't I think like just seeing like scores of suffering people writhing on the sidewalk is just part of the design in America kind of. Yeah. Like you're, you're kind of supposed to see that. Yeah. You're kind of supposed to see that because it's like, Hey, there's no floor for you to fall to. Yeah, no net yeah. To catch we, you. we do not have the, where's no one catching you. So keep. So yeah, like fucking, so work on the weekends, like, you yeah, know, yeah. Yeah. mind in your P's and Q's. Right. I mean, like the, the, like precar- the increasingly precarious middle class is supposed to see like, essentially indentured servants as their reminder is their cattle prod to keep in line and then the indentured servants are supposed to see the homeless to serve the same function yeah
Well, I mean, like, I, I guess if we're talking about this um, increased sense of just bafflement that that people have, like an, an increased sense of like, uh, like, like whether it is like more statistically dangerous now than it was 20 years ago, which it is not, and it is in fact broadly safer across most categories. Uh, people feel it, and I'm not saying they're they're even wrong to feel this way. Like, even though it may not be like technically rational, but like, I mean, who, who's capable of rationality anymore? It's yeah, just like that's not a thing. Yeah, like, um, it, like, it, like I said, like the the sense of bafflement and alienation that people have that like to tend to be stoked and increased by, uh, you know, like like things that make you feel like that the fabric of society is like is being rended apart in front of your eyes. Uh, to turn to that phenomenon of like how people feel about reality and their or their ways of coping with it, uh, I would like to turn now to the uh, the New York Times, who has uh, remember remember we did the uh, like the focus group on um, like independent swing voters a while back. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. They have a new one out now about um, like conservative men and like what, how they think and feel about American society. And there there there's a lot of gems in here. So let, let's dive into this. Like uh, the, uh, the the headline is these eight conservative men are making no apologies. Uh, this is by uh, Patrick Healy and Adrian J Rivera. Uh, they begin this uh, little like focus group that they talk about. Uh, they sort of like they set it up like this. They say there was no talk of a stolen election, no conspiracy theories about voter fraud or rants about President Biden's legitimacy. Yet listening to our 90 minute focus group with eight conservative men, you couldn't help but worry for our democracy a bit. So I'm just going to I'm going to call bullshit on this immediately, because if it is a focus group plumbing the brains of eight random conservative men in America and there's not a single one talking about um, a stolen election, then I'm sorry, they have cherry picked these fucking eight guys so that they wouldn't talk about shit like that. Because yeah, I don't think like this is an accurate with, uh, representation. With yeah. the conservatives who get on the uh, editorial page. Yeah, exactly. This is, this is, I, like, if, if they're not talking about, you know, like uh, the vaccine being like snake DNA to make you uh, uh, part satanic and remove the God gene from your body or about how President Trump won the election, I, I don't like I, I just I don't think that this is uh, an accurate representation of the current state of American conservative men and their beliefs and opinions. That being said, uh, the, the New York Times writes, uh, the men didn't see themselves fitting into American society today. They didn't feel free to be themselves in the culture. Seven of them felt, said that they felt like a stranger in their own country. At a time when democratic institutions are under pressure and even under attack, and the United States feels so ununited, what causes these Americans to feel so alienated from American? After a recent focus groups with Democratic-leaning voters on the economy, younger women on work, relationships and gender roles, and teenagers on school and their futures, we decided to talk to conservative men about how they see themselves and what they value. Most said that they believe society is headed toward increased rule-breaking and a me-me-me culture. Crime and a sense of lawlessness came up a lot. Our focus group leader, Kristen Soltis Anderson, was uh, we, she had a cameo in the uh, the Della Volpe piece, saying that you know uh, she remember she was singing the praises of Della Volpe on Monday. Oh yes, the the, the Zoomer whisperer. Yeah. Kristen Soltis Anderson was surprised by how much they used examples of poor road etiquette as emblematic of broader societal (laughs) decay. (laughs) To that end, safety was a major theme. Concern about being physically attacked and also concern about being verbally attacked for what they say. Several felt the cost of saying what they really think is sometimes just not worth it, evoking worries among some Americans about free speech and cancel culture. And they also had strong views about masculinity and gender. 
They seem to wear that their views are, are out of step with modern culture and will offend some, but still felt their views were obviously correct. So, uh, all right, so like, let's skip ahead to the actual uh, focus group. So Kristen Soltis Anderson begins by asking, you know, this, 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 the stock, this, the, this is the stock and trade question of focus groups. She says, if you had to describe your biggest concern about, about the United States or American society in a single word or phrase, what would it be? Tony, who is white, 72, retired, and from Massachusetts, says government spending. <laughs> this is a conservative conservatism classic. Um, Derek, who is uh, black, 63, and a software engineer from Georgia, said inflation. Michael, who is white, 67, and retired from Florida, said economy. Christopher, economy. <laughs> Uh, Christopher, who is black, 51, and a small business loan broker from Maryland, said elitism. Danny, who is Middle Eastern, 47, and a realtor from Florida, said disgraceful. And finally, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, Joe, who is white, 37, and in apparel manufacturing in New York, said weak. That's the apparel manufacturing guy from New York thinks um, American society has gotten weak over the We're years. We're freaking weak over here. <laughs> did they did they interview like a bunch of like riddle giving dwarves? <laughs> <laughs> the last three answers, like, come on now. Answer me these questions three to see what a disgrace American society be. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so Kristen Soltis Anderson says, Joe, why weak? Uh, Joe responds, this is not the America I remember growing up in. Uh, Joe is my age. Like, I fucking, I, I grew up in the exact same fucking America he did. I mean, I guess, like, in a certain sense, like, yeah, nobody, like, Amer yes, American society is not the same as it was when we were kids, Joe. But he says, there's, I mean, what he means is there's the Internet, honestly. Yeah. Like, that's and what it is. It's like it has changed uh, uh, our understanding of, like, public space uh, in a way that, yeah, we if you grew up before the internet, you you grew up with a different understanding. And now we have this new thing and it really does if if you're of a certain age, it does feel like a, a there's this new I don't know, like intimacy but also alienation that comes from that because you have this like socially reinscribed uh identity and like uh values that are then, you know, publicly performed by people in a way that you just didn't experience like it's true. not that long ago, like 20 years ago before, yeah. before social media. Well, yeah, no, I mean, like sometimes you get like a tree of life odor, right? Where it's like, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, 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 I need to vote for Tom Tillis this time. So like my, uh, my life is like my uh, memories and my waking dreams of 40 years ago. But um, this is more like I don't know what you would call this because I think there's a lot of this voter where it's like they wouldn't be able to verbalize the problem where it's like, oh, yeah, no, we have this like unprecedented access to each other and uh, performance has become a part of American public life just for regular people in a way that it right. never has in yes. any other society in history. And brains have been rewired in a completely unprecedented way that we do not understand maybe will not ever understand but i i i think we need like a trey gowdy type guy to fix that yeah it's because like they that those politicians that regardless of any policy they just they symbolically stand 
like in alienation from that. And so it's, if, if, if it's just a sense of anything, it's just like a recognition of like, okay, yeah, this guy's kind of like me. He gets, he gets that this is weird and uncomfortable. Well, yeah, because like the, the difference in like between how like the two parties reconcile with that is for the Republicans, like the performance in their, in their, their aspect of the performance of, that is American life, their performance is being like, oh, I just like live every day. Like it's 1983 and like, eventually I can get us back there. Yeah. Whereas the Democrats like lean into it by like looking into the camera and breaking the fourth wall. <laughs> Uh, we're uh, we're we're conducting we're conducting a focus group with um, uh, Terrence Malick's Tree of Life voters. Uh, uh, Joe, you said American society is different. How has it changed? Uh, when I grew up, dinosaurs used to take care of each other. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they used to spray kids with DDT. We loved it. What happened to that? <laughs> kids are weak nowadays because they're not running through a cloud of DDT. Um, <laughs> uh, just like Matt, to your point about like how the internet has changed our culture. I think it's like totally totally like destabilized the notion of like community because yeah. like pre-internet like you the community you grew up in like you like you know either either you felt apart from it or you felt like it sort of shaped your values and understanding the world you felt like you fit in in some way either you fit in or you didn't but right, now the exactly. internet yeah. there's only there's only there's only one community and it's like it's like everybody is subject to the standards of like like wildly diverging uh points of view and like just everyone is on the hook for everyone else in a way that like pre-internet even if you lived in like a big city, uh, I don't think people had the same sense. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. Yeah, like I, I, I grew up, and uh, in, in my town, uh, yes, there was like one sort of package of values that was broadly accepted, and I defined myself against it. I was like, I don't like this, but it was it was a nice clean thing that I could do. Uh, you can, that now there's just this cacophony, and everyone is invested not just in like you know performing the way that we all do in, in our uh, public interactions, but in specifically performing in relation to this thing at that it's, I know that the zoomers out there are like, what are you even talking about? But that really didn't always used to be that way until very recently. It wasn't. Yeah. I, I barely remember what it was like, but yeah, no, it is a marked change to the point that like the frustrating thing is like you, you lose a little bit every year of what it was like before to the yeah. point that like your own memories are through this filter. Mm -hmm. Now, like, you know, I, I think that the, the internet is a very good example of how someone who's even 37 and 38, like, you know, my age can feel like the, the, their childhood that they had and like, like the world, the things that they took for granted or, or, or accepted as universal could be deeply destabilized. However, they, the Joe immediately gets into another thing that that's very telling here. So, uh, Kristen Solis Anderson said, uh, do you have a particular concern for your own community? Robert, tell me about that. Robert, who is black, 50, and an infrastructure analyst from Texas, says crime. Kristen Soltis Anderson says, Joe, you're nodding. Joe, who keep in mind is 37 and from New York, says, I grew up with Giuliani. I'm born and raised in New York. I see stuff every day. I take the subways to work, and it's not what it used to be. It's a problem. Now, okay. I have like the exact same background and like age demographic as Joe. Like I grew up in Giuliani's New York as well. I took the subway every day. Like I'm, I'm still out on the streets. I still take the subway. And the thing is like the vibes have shifted. There has been a vibe shift. You can make fun of that. Oh, yeah. you want, but like people's vibes feel fucked up and weird now, but rationally or for whatever it's worth, crime under Giuliani's New York was across the board categorically probably three to four times as high as it has been in the 21st century. 
Like yeah, you are in every way, shape, and form less likely to be victimized by crime in New York City now than you were under Giuliani. And like, yes, it has upticked like since the pandemic happened. But it like once you know it it, it like it, it was going down under Giuliani and was that by the way it was going down before Giuliani uh, was in office as yes, well. That's true. But it's just like this this is the perfect sense of what we were talking about here. It's like it doesn't matter what the crime rate actually is; it's what people feel. And if yeah. people feel or like the, the, the media that they consume um, shows them only that like, you know, uh, mass shootings are happening on the subway. You know what? That didn't happen when I used to grow up. So I can yeah. imagine how that could make you feel like shit is getting out of hand. And like, you know, yeah. people are losing control of like the, the cities and communities that they live in, even though yeah. like, you know, rationally or whatever, like that's not the case. Or it's just like you're safer now than you were then. And that's why the Democrats are so fucked, because they really do. They are stuck in a corner now where. All they can try to do is like use data to prove that it's not that bad relative to historic trends. And that has nothing to do with what the subjective experience of living in America feels like. Again, like another case of like voters or better yet, uh, people who get excited to join a focus group describing like something that is kind of real, right? Like the different feeling and that different feeling, I think it's a bunch of things it's stuff we've already described, like the effects of technology and performance on American life, but also like the collapse of the American bargain, right? Yeah. That it is a bargain based on sort of comfort, ease of living, some type of like easy advancement that is now impossible Yeah. with like a collapse in American prestige, uh, American decline and decline in profit rates. But is again, something that like, Maybe once every literally billion focus groups, you'll get some guy who may be able to describe that. And, you know, uh, to Joe's point, uh, living in New York City, the subways have absolutely gotten more fucked up over the last five to 10 years. Like, you know, there, there is more crime on the subway. There may be less than there used to be. But crime has gone up and just the general shittiness of subway service and like cleanliness of stations. Like it is it has gotten worse by every metric. And like like that, that's a real thing you can point to about like the decline of American society. So uh, continuing with the focus group, Danny says, nobody follows rules or laws. Stop signs are voluntary. Red lights are voluntary. Nobody gets punished for doing the wrong thing anymore. We reward mediocrity. Uh, so yeah, no one's using stop signs anymore. <laughs> well, you know what? I mean, nobody uses, nobody uses their signals when they change lanes on the highway either. Nobody you know? wants I mean, to stop anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sultis Anderson says, my next question. How free do you feel to just be yourself in society these days? I'm seeing a lot of people put zeros up. <laughs> They're not putting numbers on the board when it comes to just cooling out, feeling, be, feeling yourself, just having fun. They got no rings. I hate to hear that. <laughs> uh, Robert says, you're not free to be yourself anymore because of crime. You've got to be concerned about if I go out, am I going to be a victim of crime? <laughs> <laughs> It's just so that's the thing. It's like it's just, technically yeah. you always always had to make that uh yeah. decision. And you made it in the past, if you're that age, uh under much like worse statistical conditions. But because nobody else was talking about it, maybe you didn't think about it. But now because it's reinforced over and over again in this this new digital realm that we're all like stuck in, even if we're not online, uh, this new heightened, yeah, like sense of anxiety. It feels uh, oppressive because now you're having to, you're feeling compelled to make those kind of, uh, weigh those kind of things in a way you didn't before. And obviously, like the news media, whether it's the New York Times or the New York Post or certainly like local TV news, has like always played up crime 
and has always got ratings based on like pitching uh, lurid tales of crime and street violence to their readership. But you know, I, I think you know, with the internet and like increased competition among like media conglomerates, uh, this phenomenon has gotten even more um, like exacerbated. The, The belief that like, like whether you live in a city or not, like like most people, or it just seems like a lot of people have this attitude that like American cities are like fucking Mad Max. Like if you like yeah. every time you step out of your house, you were immediately like fucking like marauded by like a gang of like you know bald youths <laughs> riding motorcycles or something. I would hate it if LeBald accosted me while I was on the train. <laughs> uh, Derek says, "I served in the military. I came back and I'm living my life." People are going to be what they want to be, and I'm going to be what I want to be. So that's pretty, pretty, pretty normal, decent He's attitude to have. To yeah. uh, Michael says, I live in Orlando, and when we moved there, it was a beautiful place. Now, right down the street. Yeah, but wrong. Are- I'm, I'm going to throw the flag on that one. <laughs> yeah. Orlando has never been beautiful for one second of its existence. Yeah, <laughs> I think we got cap on the play. Uh, now, right down the street, people are stealing stuff, breaking into cars, and it's difficult to engage because you're afraid that no matter what you say, someone's going to take offense to it. Even though you may just wanting to be, at, you may you may just be wanting to ask a valid question and understand something. Soltis Anderson says, "Can you think of examples?" Michael says, it's almost anything. You can't mention Trump. You can't mention Biden. Joe says, I feel that social media destroyed a lot of the culture that we had. Things used to be private or people just said things and then they regret it after. Christopher says, I'm one of those one of these people that speak against cancel culture. I think the true patriotism is recognizing that regardless of what party you're in, we're all Americans and we should start from that premise. Then we find more reasons to join together rather than find silly reasons to fight against each other. Joe says, amen. See, this is how I know that these aren't real Republican voters. That they just, <laughs> I, I mean, like, maybe, but it's like I, I could say like, you know, tens of millions of people vote. Voter participation is very bad, but I could see this representing at least like a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, the thing that makes me think like this does represent at least like some slice of people is that the, the sameness of American desires at the end of the day, which like. This specifically, what like what this guy's asking for, when you boil it down, it is it is a desire that you could transplant in Bushwick or L.A. It's that he wants a risk free media career. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah, it's the only it's the closest thing you can get. It's the only remaining like media. Media is the only remaining zone that many people can imagine entering uh, where they wouldn't be able to labor without feeling like they were. being hyper exploited it's, it's right. the only it's the only possible terrain left and it, it, and it's thanks to that same social media explosion that has alienated people so much from their their uh culture and has made people feel so performative all the time because everyone is always auditioning yeah no, they know it or not yeah and like definitely you know this is an incredibly punitive country and we go through cycles of like what the what we're punitive over um, you know, sometimes it's, a, you know, you're against the Iraq war. Other times it's like during the two years where uh, two or three years where like the dominant cultural strain, like in media was a sort of like weird academic, uh, like in poll. It was, you know, that was, that was what you would be punished over. But at the end of the day, you know, everyone's desire is the same. I want to be able to attempt a media career and attempt to perform in front of everybody. That's what I really want. But I don't like I don't want there to be any drawbacks. 
Yeah, I don't. I, I don't I, I, everyone yeah, wants that. That's what we I, want. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> I want I I want that for everybody. I really I really am a free speech fundamentalist, but people only really want that for themselves. Generally. Yeah, they don't want it from like, anybody else. They don't want to listen to anybody else doing that if they don't agree with them. Yeah, this guy would not, for instance, want to hear a black nationalist do that. You know. Uh, continuing with the focus group, uh, Solis so Anderson brings in another guy um, uh, named uh, Krupal Krupal, who is Asian. What, Krupal? Twi- okay, Kru- Krupal. He is Asian, 22, and a medical assistant from Maryland. Oh, uh, Zoomer Republican based. Yeah. Oh, my God. He says, I would say you're not allowed to be free anymore. Due to the Internet and social media, a bunch of trolls have gotten so much power. They're constantly out there to play gotcha. So you got to be cautious. <laughs> the, 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 mm. trolls, the trolls are out of control. Folks. The trolls are at it again, folks. They've, they've, they've seized control of our society. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, if you're a 22 year old and you're not one of the trolls, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. See, you're like, dude, if you want this power, seize it. Don't complain yeah. about it. Don't get mad. Get even. Exactly. Uh, like, you know, I, I like these old guys. I get it. They're like, they have, they don't know what to do except like go on, go on, go to Facebook and, and yell, yell at their grandkids who aren't going to pay attention. You're, you're, a, you're a digital native. You should know what to do to strike back. You can. You should be like swatting people. What is? Why are you complaining to a focus group? <laughs> uh, Patrick Healy, the New York Times uh, journalist, uh, he interjects here, and he asks, uh, "For those of you who this has happened to, where you've expressed an opinion and you feel like people have come after you or gotten angry, where does it happen?" Uh, Danny says. I've been a realtor for 22 years, and I've lived in Orlando for 44 years. I have a pretty damn good reputation. I'm, I'm throwing another flag on that play. If you've been a realtor in Orlando for 22 years, I can't imagine you have a very good reputation, at least no. among anyone you've ever sold the property to. Yeah. <laughs> um, he goes, about a year and a half ago, I was the president of one of the homeowners associations in our community. Okay. Mm. We're beginning to, you know, the, the evidence piles up here. Uh he goes, an Asian woman got into an argument with us. When I say us, I mean the whole board. That night, she went and wrote a review on my business page saying that I'm racist. My parents are Lebanese. I was beaten up every day when I was a kid because I'm Arabic. But I'm born in America. I'm not racist. I love cultures. I love languages. <laughs> <laughs> big culture head. I'm a big, I, I'm a big fan of languages, personally. Um, so he says, uh, he says, uh, she wrote a nasty review and Google won't take it down, even though she wasn't a client of mine. She never bought a house from me. She never did business with me, but she said that I'm a racist. That's what's happening today. And that never happened 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. And you know, what's worse? You can't stop it. Robert said, I agree with what Danny's saying. People become judge, jury, and executioner. It could be at work, even at church. If you've got a different viewpoint than the other people and you're in the minority, then you could be, what you call it, bullied? Now, I mean, like, and again, like, this is both a phenomenon of the internet, like, sort of uh, laying, laying way, like we said earlier about, like, sort of dissolving notions of community. But, like, keep in mind that, like, the sort of like the standard American conservative male point of view, like was the majority until, I don't know, very recently. And like increasingly, that's not the case. Like culture does change and evolve to, due to a variety of different means, whether you think that's fair or engineered in some way is sort of pointless because, you know, like the, uh, an increasing number of people that they have to deal with that is now sort of like considered a cultural 
uh, sort of common denominator or starting point um, makes them feel like they're being bullied or that they fall outside of that um, sort of like comfort zone and they yeah. feel like they're on the other end of it. And I think like, you know, it's like a, like, a, like, a, like a lot of like conservative fears about like, you know, racism or immigration. It's just sort of like it's tied up in this idea about like, I hope I'm never treated like I've treated everyone else my entire life for being. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I have been able to uh, bully people and dominate and, and be a dick. Uh, and that's cool. And I like that. Uh, the idea that I could ever be subject to that. No, thank you. I'd like to opt out. Well, I mean, like they are getting their wish of like, being oh, yeah. able to do it again. Well, I mean like, yeah, yeah you could just do it to public school teachers now. Yeah. And, and also like we talk about like partisan sorting, of the population that is also now turning into literal geographic sorting. Like we're moving into like more politically homogenous communities so that you'll be able to just go hog wild. Yeah. I mean, but but thanks to the internet existing, still imagine that somewhere somebody is canceling you. So you get to feel oppressed. Even if, even while you're just like glorying in your uh, in your uniformity or, or like not just imagine that someone out there wants to cancel you, but be exposed to like many people out there, strangers or even theoretical or real people who um, don't respect you, um, don't care to be bullied by you or in fact, are interested in bullying you. And like, yeah. I think a lot of what people feel or experience as like freedom or liberty in this country, whether they feel they are free to exercise it or be themselves or not free, I think largely depends on on how free they are to bully others not like them, free from social yeah, exactly, consequences. Yeah, yeah no, that's, yeah, like, that's that, American that's what, freedom. That's what feeling freedom feels like, is that you can yeah. like, you know, you can, you can, you can, um, uh, enforce a conformity of belief um, through like social shame and pressure on those that are different than you uh, without people, you know, uh, scolding you or, or, you, or you having to feel bad about it. Yeah. And the, the Internet has democratized that sense of entitlement. But that is something that cannot be democratized because it's an incompatible thing. Like yeah. some some hegemonic thing has to be asserted. And that's why we're splitting into two competing Hegemonies, because they, you can't have one when everybody is uh, imagines themselves uh, to as part of their like existential freedom, the right to yeah that unimpeded uh, uh, domination of those around them. Maybe one of the like only good jobs that will exist in the future, uh, new good jobs in America, will be that you can move to like a politically homogenous community and be the guy that people yell at. Yeah, like you can. Sort of like a, yeah, you can. Sort of like yeah, a you town can, dunce or something. Exactly. Like we're gonna bring back town fools, but being a town fool means like maybe you like move to the villages and you're like, oh, I think it's a, I think it's offensive to have Christmas. We should we should uh, we should have uh, Black Lives Matter Day where white people kill themselves on uh, on December 25th, and then everyone yells at you. And the, but then on the other side, you could move to like the you know like somewhere in the Bay Area and be like, ah, uh, I, I don't, not all men. I'm wearing a fedora. I, lo- I love Infinite Jest. And, <laughs> and you can just, you-, you can just be uh, like town dunce is as well paid a position as like corporate lawyer or something. Yeah. You make $300,000 a year. Yeah. We need, we need like the sin eater of the community. You put them in the stockade and people throw vegetables at them, but they're making well into six figures. So as long as you don't, you know, seriously hurt them. You can't, you can't, yeah, yeah, that'd be a great job. I would love to do that because, that, like, uh, th- th- that'll use that'll use trolling to like societal benefit. Because, like, if you just like 
uh, like plant trolls in their opposite communities. Like they can they, all all the all the social pressure can be offloaded onto them, but in a kind of like safe and consensual way. Yeah, I would love to be the town fool of the villages or like Stone Mountain, Georgia. And like, <laughs> like every town should have like a forum or like a mini Twitter. And I would go on and like do call out posts on people for like not giving pronouns to their dogs and shit. <laughs> oh, yay. Oh, yay. Oh, yay. Yeah. <laughs> All listen. Be, yeah. Words of Caesar. It'd be a fun job for me. Uh, Patrick Healy uh, uh, interjects, uh, Robert, is there something specific that you remember happening? Uh, Robert says, I voted for Trump. I like Trump from when he was with The Apprentice. I knew him as a business person. That's why I voted for him. And then, oh, Lord, from church to every place, people just had a problem with it. You can't have a different viewpoint. Uh, Christopher says, I just want to harmonize with what Robert is saying. I don't even know if you guys have heard this term, but I've been called coon and Sambo in every word in the book. But when it came to Trump, everybody is so focused on the sound bites. But when I show them the executive orders that he's done for so many different cultures and people that are part of America, they don't want to hear it. They only want to stick to the sound bites. That's when I realized just how irrational so many Americans are, and I blame a huge part of that on the media. Uh, Derek says, I mean, even before the information age, talking about politics inflamed people. Even before the information age, talking about religion inflamed people. Now you've got access to all this information through all these different sources, so it's coming at you fast and furious. But for me, the same thing's been happening forever. 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you talk about politics, you get into a heated argument. Because like, like Derek, like that, 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 that seems like a sensible point of view. I mean, like, it, it, like it sort of used to be like it's in mixed company. It's uh, it's bad manners to bring up uh, issues relating to politics or religion for precisely uh, th- this very point. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think what they're. I mean, obviously, like it's very kind. Of, it's juvenile to be like uh, the people with different uh, political beliefs than me disagree with me, and and they don't say that I'm right when I talk to them. That's that's fascism. I mean, you're being a baby, but as you said, it used to be understood that if you didn't want an argument, you won't bring up politics. But part of that change brought about in part by social media is that you can't not talk about politics now because po- the political spectacle has fused completely to culture. So there's no non-political subject. I mean, obviously, there never is a non-political subject. But be- until recently, again, there were areas that people understood to be non-political. And now, you know, because politics can't do anything material, it has to uh, res- uh, like push cultural buttons because it cannot appeal any other way because those those functions are no longer uh, up for uh, democratic discussion everything is politicized and so you end up having to get into these fights if you want to talk about anything and i I, that does seem like it'd be very wearying i mean like as we've said like politics is the domain of the freak the sicko in american life but we're all freaks and sickos now yeah we've been freakified we've been sickified we've all gone sicko mode and so now Every discussion ends up, even if it doesn't tip into political conflict, the knowledge that it could really does like, yeah, poison relations. And, and it's something that I think younger people don't even recognize because they have grown up that way. Yeah. Like, like, and you know, whether you're on Twitter or Facebook or like any, any social media and like, despite, you know, your followers or an algorithm that caters to like your point of view, uh, nothing that you're saying is just truly among friends, you know, like it, it could always, uh, you know, sort of pass through the membrane into some larger community or sphere of belief that is diametrically opposed to yours. 
I'll just say though, sort of similar to like, uh, <laughs> you know, Chris Rock getting slapped by Will Smith. If a joke is good enough, and if a political belief or religious belief is good enough, I think you should fucking uh, be willing to take some shit for it. Yeah, I mean, I understand. Like, like if if you're not wanting to engage with the broader public and it keeps coming to find you, I can understand how. Uh, that could be annoying. But if you're going to share a political belief publicly, which is what the internet is, you should be able to take, I mean, you should just sort of like have to man up and understand that like some people are going to be pissed at it. Some people may abuse you for it. Some people may get wildly angry at you. But like if you believe in it strongly enough, I think you should be able to weather that as sort of the price of right. being but, able I mean, to express as, yourself. As Felix says, like the real, you freedom isn't, the freedom is the freedom to say, do whatever you want without, without that without pushback, without feeling uncomfortable for a second of your life. Well, I mean, it is, it's such a broad and general thing that you can't like, I, I do not think you can make an all encompassing statement about it. Right. Because like, there are some, like, obviously you're going to get a million cases of someone saying that they were like canceled or whatever. And it's like, you know, they're like a doctor and they're like, Oh, I love like when black people die of diseases, you know? And it's like, okay. okay um, like, I, I don't really want to defend that one, but then, you know, in the same vein, you there are cases of like fucking entire like Twitter and TikTok accounts that are dedicated to like doxing people regardless of whether they're like kids in high school or not. Yeah. Over jokes. And I don't think this is like a thing that like um, tens of millions of people in American life participate in. It's something that like more people are a part of than they would have been many years ago. But that's just by virtue of the freakification of American society. Mm -hmm. But it is it, it's too broad for me to say, like, uh, you should be willing to take shit. I think like after many years of doing this, that my personal belief on like the detested term cancel culture is that the best solution to like poor faith reading of jokes or people being like legitimately offended or people like wanting you to be like kicked off a platform is that you don't really dwell on it and you just keep doing your thing and that seems to work the best that is kind of impossible for a lot of people in american life because like reaction and counter reaction is the only thing you mm -hmm. can do and also like that that you know doesn't fully account for like the fucking woman on TikTok, like, you know, is like, hey, everyone call this kid's principal. <laughs> like, what the fuck is that? You know? Yeah. But that she she is, as much as anyone else is, a victim of the freakification of American life. This is not something that people in any type of good state would be doing. Uh, continuing on, uh, Solda Sanders says, uh, Michael, uh, do you think that there are any things in particular you just try not to talk about today? Uh, Michael responds, one of the things that I'm sensitive to is diversity. Diversity is when you have people that truly have different ways of thinking, and that's how you solve problems. But you can't talk about it because people don't see it that way. It's all about skin colors, all about sexual orientations, all about these things that the media constantly talks about. It's not about the things that really give us value as individuals. Joe says, there's a lot of things you can't talk about. I was mentioning to someone in my office about the president appointing a Supreme Court nominee. It was an African-American woman. And I was saying, that's the most racist thing you could do. What if somebody else was good? <laughs> what? Yeah, appointing a black woman to the Supreme Court is the most racist thing you can do. I mean, I, I mean, like, I know what he's talking about. He's saying that, like, Joe Biden said, like, immediately off the, like, you know, like, it's going to be a black woman. Stupid. But, but like, I mean, Classic like, Brandon. Yeah, but, but at the same time, it's like, 
there are a billion people. There, there are, every single man, woman, and child in America is like qualified and constitutionally capable of sitting on the Supreme Court. So I don't really believe in this argument that like, oh, like, it's, oh, he's like there. There's 20 more qualified people than this woman. Like, you know, right, if he wants like, to that's, take that that's into an article a, of faith in America, though, that like yeah. we live in a meritocracy and that high offices should be should be filled through a meritocratic process. You know, like it might not be true, but that doesn't mean that it's not something that people have like hardwired in as a belief and then get alienated from when they see it disregarded or imagine to see it disregarded. So your joke continues. uh, What if they were Asian? What if they were anything? And then when you speak to somebody about it, well, what are you racist? No, I'm not a racist. Uh, Solta Sanderson says, are there any places where you do feel comfortable at home being yourself? Uh, Joe said, uh, during the pandemic, we decided to make a WhatsApp group. And the group grew to what it is today of like 35 guys that mostly share the same views. And we just talk to each other all day. And everybody says what's on their mind. We don't hold back. Salta Sanderson says, then let me ask the flip side of this question, which is, are there any spaces where you specifically don't feel comfortable? Any places where you are extra on guard? Joe says, I would definitely say in my office. I don't want to offend anyone. I have four kids. I have to make a, I have a living to make. I don't want to deal with any headaches. Danny says, I've had friends that I've known for 20 or 30 years drop me from Facebook over political differences. No matter how well they've known you, they will turn their back on you. Joe says, I wanted to mention one of my closest friends happens to be a liberal, and I'm the total opposite. We're great friends. People don't understand that today, that it's okay to disagree. Michael says, the country, to a great extent, has really lost the ability to have civil discourse and able to learn from different opinions. So, Solta Sanderson says, another show of hands questions. How many of you agree with this statement? I feel like a stranger in my own country. All but Derek raised their hands. Danny says, we are the most selfish, self-centered, entitled culture. Everything Correct. Is you too, though, yes. motherfucker. <laughs> you are not excused from that circle. Uh, my brother is a doctor in emer- my brother's a doctor in the emergency room. I hear stories every single night. People just run red lights. And when we were younger, we used to see only uh, one person run a light. Now it's four <laughs> or five cars in a row on the same light. They could literally kill a family. They don't care. They're in a hurry. They've got to get to Chick-fil-A. Uh, Solta Sanderson says when he runs sh- a red light, it's because he had to. You don't understand. Like yeah. this is this is why everyone's. This is why, at the end of the day, yeah, everyone will like sign on for a military coup that kills all of their enemies. Is because everyone's everyone is being incentivized to be the most selfish, awful version of themselves. Like that is a universal thing. But of I, course, for everybody who is every individual who is being pushed in that direction, because they've lived their life, they have a narrative that justifies it. But everybody else is just some asshole. See. I was uh, I I would have been deeply skeptical of this idea that everyone is just running red lights and uh, disobeying traffic laws had we not spent a couple hours driving from Dallas to Houston on this past tour. Some of the driving we saw there <laughs> yeah. was I like yeah that really was a new level. Like when we were like traffic slowed down and by slowed down it was like moving at about forty miles an hour. We immediately saw two cars just off road it onto the access road. <laughs> yeah, like and it was not like, like real close. There was <laughs> yeah. a fucking like a hill, a, a, a grassy yeah. hill, and a, a significant decline to this access road that was like. 30 yards away and these cars just immediately peel off and just go whipped and right out of there off-roaded it immediately uh continuing with this uh Soltis anderson says let me shift gears and focus a little bit on the things that you value what are you most proud of these days what has made you feel a sense of accomplishment uh derek says i made sure my son graduated from college was there to support him all the way do what i had to do to make sure he became a man 
Joe says, my children, we take bagels or donuts or whatnot to the local police station nearby because their morale is probably not the greatest, especially in the NYPD. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And we always oh, tell them, we always tell them, we love you guys. We support you guys. And I always tell my kids in anything that anybody does, there's always a small amount of bad people that do the wrong things. I suppose that includes the NYPD. <laughs> but always remember that it doesn't always set the tone for everything, that the police are here to protect us. It's the most selfish, self-centered scumbag time in America, except for police who are immune for that. I like the idea of like, like the Democrats need to like listen to this focus group, particularly to see where Americans are at. Like, I love like the idea of like trying to take anything from this fucking nonsense. This like how Pikmin talk where it's like, like, okay, uh, we listen to the focus group. Um, in response, we are going to make a WhatsApp group. Uh, for everyone in the country <laughs> where they can like say the election was stolen or like say like it's it's racist to like be on the Supreme Court and like no one can get mad at them. Uh, we're going to kill uh, half the people that run red lights, but the other who like had to get a burger under special circumstances, it's <laughs> they, they, they were that was an emergency we have to give them, like, yeah, we have to give them love and understanding Um <laughs> Paid time off for you and your son to, to give sort of the hardest bagels ever to some police officers, and uh, then then we're just we're we're, we're going to have it so that um, there's no more trolling. We've listened to yeah, you. No more. Yeah, don't be mean. I like the idea of the uh, the Democrats uh, reading this focus group, and they're like, "Oh man, we've uh, we're really in a bind with this defund the police, Black Lives Matter thing." Okay, how about this? Like. Uh, federal tax rebates for uh, whatever local police departments spend on bagels, donuts, for just something to nosh on during the day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, every yeah, every police department, uh, they're going to be able to continue like clocking overtime in their sleep, in their sleep, like the Twitch streamers who just stream themselves from the bed. But also, they'll have like a weekly donut and bagel day, where they get special like uh, community visit overtime. All right, so uh, Patrick Healy sort of shifts directions, and he says, I want to ask each of you to throw out a word or two on this. What does it mean to be a man? Robert says, provide for your family. Michael says, compassion. Tony says, being responsible and being a model for your kids. Joe says, I think providing for your family, teaching your children right from wrong, leading by example. Derek says, having integrity. Krupal says, taking care of your family and being respectful to others, regardless of your personal perspective. Robert says, from my religion standpoint, the man is in charge. The responsibility falls upon the, a man in certain areas. And if something fails, it's the man's responsibility on why it failed, not the woman's. Patrick, I, I, to, I totally disagree with Robert. When things go wrong, it's always women's fault. True. Man, you can't, cannot blame us for this. It's, it's these ever. Women, these, this, yeah. Don't ever, don't ever get mad at a man. That's my that's my that's what matters to me about. Men. Yeah, let's make that our uh, politics. No, getting illegal to get mad at men. Um, Healy asks, uh, is masculinity important to you? Christopher says, yes, you can't observe the na the natural animal kingdom and see the separation between masculine and feminine. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden think that we as humans are just going to be all one noted. We're masculine and feminine for a reason. Yeah. I mean, like when I look at, you know, hyena society i think yes we should be dominated by a strong matriarchal figure with a six-inch clitoris <laughs> he uh, derek what about you 
Uh, Derek says, very chill masculinity. Not that bravado type of crap. See, Der- Derek's, Derek's in talking some sense in this focus group. Uh, Robert says, to me, the stuff that's going on with Ukraine, the United States hasn't filled our role as being masculine as a nation in that aspect. <laughs> and that's why Putin is doing what he's doing. Because when you don't step up into certain roles, then the stronger person is going to take over. In past times, we've taken a leadership role. And to me, we're not taking a leadership role. So, you know, Putin... This is just, this is just, yeah, like this is when you get older and your dick stops working and you uh, blame it on television or something. It's like, I'm sorry, man, the blood flow to that member is no longer operating. You just have to accept it. And also uh, when you've uh, aged out of um, selective service or being able to volunteer for the military, then like, yeah, it becomes incumbent upon the masculinity of the nation to uh, uh, go to war. Yeah. With Russia, because <laughs> you're like, well, I'm, I'm 56. I'm retired. I'm from I'm, 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 I'm a retired realtor. Uh, OK, here, here's a really good one. Uh, Soltis Anderson says, who would you all think of as good examples of masculinity or manliness these days? Who's a good example? OK, and Danny, I got to say, Danny is my new hero for this answer. Jason Statham. <laughs> Hell yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. All right. You All right. Listen, listen, you can't. Listen up. You can't. Listen up. You can't. We used to know the boys from the boys from the gal, boys from the birds. Now, what? They're, chop, they're chopping their todgers off nowadays. I have, three, I have three rules. I never look at what I'm transporting. If I do find out that it's a black woman being put on the Supreme Court, I just abandoned the car on the side of the road. <laughs> And I have a WhatsApp group with 35 guys. 35 exactly bald men. <laughs> who are also transporters. We just, we talk about whatever we want to talk about, Bob's your uncle. Uh, Christopher says Denzel Washington. Robert says, yeah, Denzel Washington. Yeah. Tony says Tom Brady. <laughs> I love his like... Uh, you know, like, like this is like traditional. It's supposedly like you know, these are conservative men, conservative values. And when asked, "Who is your role model for masculinity?" Like three of them say movie stars. Yeah, very, very telling. <laughs> and then Tom Brady, like you know, a professional athlete. Yeah, just entertainment figures. People yeah. on the TV. Uh, Healy says, "Do you think the definition of masculinity or manliness has changed over your lifetime?" Tony says, "This country has become more feminized." It's not the way it was when I was growing up. We started off talking about how the country has a weak image. They don't call women the weaker sex for no reason. <laughs> Men are necessary to maintain a vibrant society, and we've been feminized. No offense. Soltis Anderson says, who, if anyone, do you think views masculinity as a negative these days? Christopher says, I support feminism, but I don't support modern feminism. I think that modern feminism is focused on so-called toxic masculinity, and they are actually purveyors of men bashing. And so I support femininity and feminism, but not to the point where they're trying to hoist themselves above men or trying to make up for the so-called patriarchy. Christopher, spit, spit, church, take them to church. No, I mean, like, I'm all for feminism, too, but not if these broads think they're better than men. Yeah, or even as good, honestly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. It's, it's like, if you look at the animal kingdom, there are natural and complementary gender roles between, like, the better, stronger gender and then sort of, like, the support gender. Who's there to yeah. support the cooler, stronger, vibrant sex, which is men, of course. Yeah, of course. And, you know, like, it just I'm all for I'm all for I'm all for ladies rights. But like, come on, don't rock the boat or get mad at me for any reason. There are some interesting gender setups in the animal kingdom. Uh, sables, they actually the, the female sable will entice the male sable to fuck her and nut in her and then like, you know, bring her rat carcasses and shit. 
until she gives birth. And then when the stable pops can finally open their eyes, she like tries to kill him and kicks him out. <laughs> Which did that, sounds that, pretty wait, good. Wait, Felix, did that used to happen though? 30, 40, 50 years ago, really? You think? Actually, no, yeah, no. Um, <laughs> you know, since feminism, since like, you know, the feminization of the culture, stables used to live together forever. And now like th- this has happened. There's a lot of sing- there's a lot of single sable single parent sable families out there, and it's, uh, it's all, all these yeah all these sable bitches trying to tell me like what can and can't be in video games. <laughs> so, Putting uh, rat carcasses behind my dresser. So uh, here are some other here are some other uh, opinions about masculinity and uh, sort of the feminization of society. Uh, Danny says, "Look at fashion. Look at the newer generation of how people dress, how men dress." There's men and there's women and there's masculinity and femininity, femininity, and there's no reason to destroy one in order to make the other one better. I'm not trying to get into a negative men versus women thing, but I'm seeing masculinity under attack and I'm seeing men wearing tight, skinny jeans with no socks and velvet shoes. And it's cool to wear pink. I don't mind wearing pink. It's a cool color. And I'm not saying colors belong with a certain gender. It's so funny. This is what we were talking about earlier. Every time you speak, you don't feel comfortable enough to say what's on your mind, where you have to almost give a disclaimer. I have no problem with pink. But when we go out to a club or a dinner or dancing, you see some of the younger generation wearing very feminine clothes, blatantly feminine clothes, so much so that we were almost trying to portray masculinity as negative. Uh, but okay, so that was Danny. I'm I like so I like how I like how he almost like defeated himself in an argument. <laughs> <laughs> like he's like just just for just for no reason. Like that like just the starving wretch that is his inner monologue was like, "What about pink?" And he was like, "No, I think pink's awesome." See, this is what I mean. You can't even say anything, and no one said anything. <laughs> That's the thing. It's, like, yeah, it's just like, like the first are... time. Yeah, the first yeah. time he's heard one of his own thoughts in like three years, and he's like, "Oh, what the fuck?" <laughs> yeah, there's this. All the suppression is largely like in their heads as they're confronting feelings that they don't know how to process, and then just getting mad at them. Yeah, I I, I have to say, um, the skinny jean thing. I don't really know what he's talking about. Um, I thought he was going to talk about like how, you know, Harry Styles will like wear a dress and people are like, look at him beating up gender roles. And it's like, gender roles have never been stronger. <laughs> gender roles, it, he, gender roles are challenging him right back. He looks terrible in that. It's funny. Like when it comes to like uh, sort of, um, sort of cultural reactionary frustrations with uh, contemporary society and particularly masculinity. I feel like as long as I've been alive, it's always been focused on pants. And when I was a kid, it was, they were too baggy and falling off your ass. And now yeah, they're the too tight. Now yeah, they're too tight. Ground. Yeah. Yeah. Now so, I mean, tight. It's like, what do we you see, want? We need, we need a nice, like sort of relaxed fit dockers, you know, just sort of straight leg, not, not, you know, like, uh, you know, not, not, not the, not the, not, not no boot cut and no, and no, like, uh, you know, no, no, no tapering on the legs, you know? That's Ooh, oh oh okay. This is a this is a cool idea for men. You know how like women have where the where the daughters of the witches you can burn? How about like were were the were the sons of the men who you told to pull up their pants? <laughs> well you you know, you said you said like our pants were too baggy, they were sagging. And now when the wolves come knocking at the door, look look who's come crying back for help. I'm yeah. gonna look down. I'm gonna look down at all the 37 year old garment manufacturers and system admins begging, begging society to wear uh, looser pants, and I'm gonna say no. <laughs> um, Michael says, kind of makes me think of the old peace through strength thing. 
Masculinity is kind of like that, where you need to be confident, willing, and committed, but not necessarily aggressive. But there's a place for it, and it needs to be there. Uh, Krupal says, I work in healthcare. I'm lucky to have a good environment. But a lot of my other friends who work in healthcare, they've been told a lot of times to tone it down and not show their manliness. If it's tattoos or if it's long hair or a beard, anything that is leaning towards masculinity, they're told to tone it down. Long hair? Yeah. Long hair and beards used, that used to be associated with yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Tell 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 the fucking hard hat rioters that long hair is a symbol of masculinity. This is yeah, I have not heard anyone <laughs> put together a coherent thought on this. <laughs> They're it's just like they 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 are like them trying to construct like a sentence with that tries to convey one opinion or one sentiment is like that they're, they're seesawing against themselves and falling off every time. <laughs> I've, I've noticed that the answers have become more confused and contradictory when they've waded into the question of like masculinity and what, and like, you know, what it means to be a man. Uh, you know, guys today, you know, we, we're adrift. Um, uh, Sultan Sanderson says, show of hands, how many of you would say that men have it harder these days than two or three decades ago? Joe says, what comes to mind is Governor Cuomo of New York, who I hate. I couldn't stand him. I was so happy when he was gone. But maybe he was really trying to have a relationship with one of these women. (laughs) 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 I just feel like... I, I just I feel like the people uh, people just rush to judgment on things, but that goes back to the cancel culture idea, where they just look to go after people. There's a mob, and then they once they go after you, that's it. You work in the workplace, you have to watch what you do. You want to pat someone on the back? Oh, whoa, that might be you know. You better be careful. <laughs> I just love he's like, I hate I hate Governor Cuomo. I'm so glad that he's gone, but like honestly, like I support all the sexual harassment he did. I mean, I thought it was very unfair was what love. happened to him. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> he was just he's a romantic guy and you can't you can't ask someone their bra size in the office anymore you can't ask about their sex life or oh oh, it becomes a big thing uh krupal says it's like you're a woman you're given a trophy if a guy does something it's not a big deal if girls do the same thing it's like you go girl power i think her gender plays a bigger role and it gives her more advantage these days be it career or anything Christopher says, I think that women have it a lot easier than men these days. What it feels like is that society is trying to make up for the times when women were oppressed. And it seems like it's kind of gone overboard. Uh, do you th- and then Sultan Sanderson says, yes, uh, do you think our society values you, the things you contribute, the things you stand for? Do you think society values you? Derek says, well, I think companies like Nike value me. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> what the fuck? I think oh, that- my God. <laughs> I guess Nike is the only company that hasn't done like just a, a girls only trophy ceremony just for the ladies. <laughs> uh, Christopher says, I don't think institutions or society values me. America seems to be focused on sensationalism and celebrity worship, things that aren't of it really of any inherent value. My thing is, I have to create the value in myself. I have to live my life with my, that value and I have to instill that sense of value in my kids, my family. A show of hands question. Do you think that sexism is a major problem in America today? Nobody raises a hand. And do you think that racism is a major problem in America today? Nobody raises a hand. Oh, problem solved. Uh, so just like uh, just a f- closing thoughts here. Christopher says, 
You have individual racism, just like you have individual sexism. You may have pockets or communities of that are, that are known for it. Certainly people that may be in office, that may be purveyors of it. But it doesn't make the whole system that way. And I think what happens is people try to make it become systematic. And I understand it. Don't get me wrong. I can't say that 50, 60 years ago that it wasn't systematic because it was. But you can't take that and then just refuse to look at all of the changes that were made and say, oh, yeah, we're still there because we're not. I mean, that's, so th that's getting at a real a real uh pro like a a genuine crisis in with that's buried within like uh the attempt to you know create uh racial justice in this country and all that uh which is that yes there was like a regime of 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 uh, de jure racism in America that was uh dismantled uh and with it uh was supposed to be the empowerment of uh African Americans to you know, finally be able to uh, claim like political influence in relationship to their share of the population. And at the exact same time that like those barriers fell, uh, the U S economy was radically restructured in such a way that upward mobility was canceled. You either were lucky enough to have gotten into the homeowning class. Uh, and then you get to huddle on that equity, you know, as your kids and their kids slowly lose uh, purchasing power and, and and wealth uh or you you don't in which case a decline is inevitable and that is what the legacy of the systemic racism is is this reinforcing of a economic distinction but we can't talk about economics and we can't tie race to economics in any coherent way because we have completely uh we we don't have any political faction with with uh, the ability to you know, actually pass bills that uh, represents that analysis. So you have this thing of you're telling everyone like, no, the racism is still a problem. Race racism is systemic, but people who've been brought up uh, on the story of the civil right, rights movement think, no, we did that. We fixed that. And you can't explain how it didn't actually fix anything without getting into questions of political economy that are just not uh part of the political discussion um okay i hear you but how about this how about if you do like a sort of dunk and egg type situation where one of these 43 year old men is uh like a he's a hedge knight he's traveling america like seeking to uncancel men get them in whatsapp groups solve problems uh you fight his own internal monologue figure out if it's okay to wear pink and then <laughs> the egg like the young squire who's secretly noble born and will one day be king and is also taking part of this journey to learn of the common man is actually baron trump <laughs> i think everyone would learn a lot uh the 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 focus group closes out uh by salta sanderson asking um uh, what would surprise people the most about what it's like to be in your shoes these days? What do you think many people don't quite understand? And I'm just going to paraphrase here. Basically, all of them say some variation about how hard they work. And I got to say, with the, with the lone exception of Krupal, the 22-year-old healthcare worker, I don't believe it. No. Yeah, <laughs> like, no I, feel, really. I really Sorry. don't believe it. <laughs> these, these men went delirious being deprived from burger for 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah. If you're a realtor in Orlando, like, I mean, come on. Like, you just, just sp spare me the rap about fucking uh, hard work and fucking shit like that because, yeah. Um, I, would love, right. I, would, I would love to, like, 
just randomly make one of these guys the president. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> like, why not? Like Jason Statham, the VP. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, man. A Denzel Jason Statham presidential ticket. Can you imagine how cool that would be? You know what this reminded me of? This reminded me of when we were in uh, D.C. for the Trump inauguration. And I thought about this guy that I met, like, outside the shitty hotel we were staying at, where he was, like, uh, he was a, like, big Trump guy. And he was, like, I voted for Trump because it was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to vote for a businessman. (laughs) But also, I'm from Arkansas, and I love Bill Clinton. He's a great guy. I'm actually friends with him. And it's, man, that is... Typical American. They should have put well, that guy in the focus group. He was at least like more interesting than these yeah. guys. I could not figure out what the fuck his deal was. Very friendly, though. Well, there you go. I mean, you know, like uh, when, when you dig deep beneath the surface, basically all Americans are just the same kind of ignorant pigs, myself included. It's true. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're we're selfish, we're self-centered, ignorant pigs. And all, and all we could do is blame everyone else for it. Uh, yeah. So uh, that does it for today's episode. Just, you know, everyone watch Terrence Malick's The Tree of Life. How about that? Let's get everyone on the same page here. It's a great It's a new classic. We love it. All right, uh, gentlemen, until next week. Bye-bye. Bye.